Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hey, John, we have an announcement. Uh, that's right. It's a special cold open uh, to announce that over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash John, where you can go to directly support this podcast and also the other things that uh, Complexly does, yeah. online video educational projects. Uh, if you donate at $5 a month or more, you will get access to a new secret, very brief podcast called This Week in Ryan's. That's right. Every week, a brief five to ten minute podcast about a different Ryan. Every week, forever. <laughs> Every week, forever. There's a lot of Ryans, John. There's people with the first name Ryan. There's people with the last name Ryan. There's places called Ryan. There's things called Ryan. And we're going to talk about all of them over the course of the next 30 years of our lives. Uh, and it's going to be available as a $5 Patreon perk at patreon.com slash John. And you might be asking yourself... Dear fan of the pod, do you really need money to do Dear Hank and John? Well, let me tell you something. No, we don't. In fact, <laughs> in fact, that money is going to be going into our production company, which is where all of the Patreon money so far has been going, uh, where we use it to do things like SciShow and Crash Course and uh, healthcare triage and explanations and the financial diet and a bunch of other things that we do at our production company. So this is just kind of a way to help us pay the bills uh, on our other, uh, uh, just, it's, it's all part of the same family of content. Uh, and it all goes into the same pot where we try and try and make money to pay for that's the right we want to make educational video and uh we also want to make this weekend ryan's and so it lines up nicely with our interests <laughs> uh so if you're interested please head yeah. over to patreon.com slash dear hank and john thanks to everybody who supported our podcast uh over the year and um thanks also to everybody who's about to start listening to this week in ryan's we're very excited about it we're going to make this week's this week in ryan available uh for free at the end of this podcast so you can get a sweet sweet taste of the silliness that is to come hello and welcome to dear hank and john nor as i prefer to think of it dear john and hank it's a comedy podcast where me and that guy he's my brother john we answer your questions give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both mars and afc wimbledon hey john how you doing i'm doing all right hank Things are good. As you know, there's a little bit of work stress in our lives right now. But other than that, I'm great. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to, like, come up with a thing to have happened to me this week. But it's all boring. And it's all meetings. Yeah. We're, uh, we're doing the yearly evaluations of all the people at the company. Um, we're like, it, it's not evaluations. It's sort of like a check-in. And, and so, like, all the people who are the people who report to me. I like, let's have our check-in. And then we talk about how their jobs are and how they like it and how things are going. And it's great, but there, it's a lot of people. And uh, I'm I, I, like, I'm happy that I do it. But then also like, it's like, oh, that's a new thing to add to the list of things. Uh, but yeah. I'm not very good, Hank, as you know, um, at meetings <laughs> or yeah. check-ins. I kind of designed my life around the idea that I was never going to have to go to a meeting. <laughs> because I find meetings to be a form of oppression. And also, uh, when I am in a meeting, my friends and coworkers can attest to this, I uh, like shake somewhat violently and roll my eyes and mutter to myself 
and uh, frequently will will whisper quietly, has this meeting reached its conclusion? Um, yeah. I just find them to be extraordinarily inefficient. That said, I understand that everyone in the world but me sees value in meetings, so I am almost definitely wrong, except that I still kind of think that I'm right. I mean, you are definitely kind of right. Um, there's definitely inefficiencies to meetings, but... Uh, also, there's no other way for humans to talk to each other uh, about the things that they have to do than to schedule it sometimes. So, my life has lots of meetings in it, John. That's that's who I have become, and I, I take most of the bullets for you in terms of meetings. So just appreciate me. I know, and I do. I deeply appreciate that. I just want to pause and say, Hank, thank you for attending so many meetings on my behalf. <laughs> okay. Do you have a short poem for us this week? I don't. No, I've been in too many meetings. I haven't even read any poetry this week. It's a darkness. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, well, um, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, where the dogs of society howl. You can't plant me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow. That's by Elton John. Um, That's a good one. That's a good one. We should have you do this every week. Should we answer some questions from our listeners? Yeah, okay. This one's from Allison. This is a really good open, John. We did a really good job. So this is Allison who asks. We killed it. It's like, man, that meeting conversation was hilarious. uh, Allison asks, dear Hank and John, I'm always confused of how to respond when someone compliments the outfit I'm wearing. If they say, that looks nice on you, I always say thank you. But what if they just say, like, I like your shirt. I didn't make this shirt. I just bought it. Are they complimenting me on purchasing a cute shirt? Should I respond with, I think so too, though it seems seems self-congratulatory? I've been pondering this for years. Can you help? Allison. I can. Can you, John? Uh, No. So I guess I'm going to count on you for this one. Uh, The the only thing, it's so nice to have been alive for 36 years so that I can have answers when people do what I consider to be a bit loony uh, things like this. You say, I got it at the gap. You, that's, that's what you say. Like, it's, it's a little bit like if somebody is like, oh, that, like, uh, how's, how's your pasta? Oh, no, no, I strongly disagree. I strong, like, if somebody says to me, oh, I like your suit, the correct answer is not, I got it at Burberry. That no, is that's, the wrong that, answer. I think that's what they're asking. It's a way of asking, like, where did you get your clothes? No, they're not. They're they're trying to make polite conversation, and you are inserting a brand into a conversation that needs no brand. I think, like, that is the only thing I've figured out what to say when somebody says, I like your shirt. I say, or I say, like, my wife got it for me. I'd, like, tell the story of the shirt. Uh, because Because there's nothing else to say. What else is there to say? You could say thank you. I think you can just say thank you because they are ultimately complimenting you on doing a nice job of picking out a shirt for today. I do. Yes, I guess that's correct. And and even like the bold fashion choices you have made, like, look at that. Look at that contrasty plaid you have chosen for your cute shirt. You know what I actually find, Hank? I find that in general, when I tell people that I like their shirt or, or that I like their dresser or, or that I like their suit, what I actually mean is... Unlike the vast majority of times, I notice your shirt. <laughs> yeah, like, I was aware that it existed, whereas usually... I don't I actually just... like it. Like, in all probability, I think that it's a little over the top, but I did notice it. <laughs> and so I kind of have to say something because it's what I'm thinking about right now. Right, exactly. So is it a bad sign if somebody says that they like your shirt? Should you retire that shirt? I think you might have to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I distracted I'm you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I forced you to notice my shirt. Yeah. That was not nice of me. I think you're right. I think we came to a really good conclusion on this one. Allison, stop stop wearing that shirt. Oh, God. I'm so glad we were able to wrap that one up quickly. So basically, anytime somebody gives you a compliment, just respond by saying, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, our next question comes from Tyler. Tyler writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm an atheist, and recently I've become a bit frustrated at something concerning English. I'm finding that there's no good secular alternative to saying I'm praying for you in English. This came up when a friend of mine was having a lot of anxiety issues. I don't want to tell them I'd be praying for them since I'd be lying. Yet for some reason, I'm always unsatisfied with saying I hope things get better, as that just doesn't seem to have the same weight. No. Is there a better alternative that I'm not thinking of, or am I just overthinking this whole thing? Memento mori, Tyler. Um... 
So, Hank, you and I will have very different answers for this question, but I do not think that you have to believe in God to pray for someone uh, or to pray. So that's my answer. Well, yes. So so do you have to think that the prayer does anything for it to be a prayer? Oh, I think, yeah, probably, probably. But uh, I think... Yeah, I guess so. Because that's like, that's the thing that, you, like, it's not like a linguistic problem. It's a practical problem where there's like, I'm jealous of mm-hmm. of the phrase, I'm praying for you, and I, I am incapable of using it, honestly, because I, like, because it, like, I'm praying for you indicates, like, I am not just thinking about you. I'm trying to do something for you. I'm trying to, ha- like, have an effect on this situation with like through my understanding of the universe and how it works. And I, and like, so, so I can say you're in my thoughts or like, I've been thinking about you a lot or, you know, like you've been on my mind, like that kind of thing is, is sort of the, the secular equivalent. Like you'll like these people are in our, in our thoughts. Um, and, uh, and you just leave out the prayers part of in our thoughts and prayers. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's not a uh, it's not a linguistic problem. It's a practical problem that you don't think that you can have a thought that will affect the ultimate outcome. Um, but in just in saying that you are trying to have an effect, you kind of are, and so it's kind of a it's kind of a shame that we don't we don't have a thing that we can say that feels honest. Well, I think I think uh, thinking of you does feel honest, and maybe does maybe does help. I think maybe it does help. But yeah, I, I, I hear you on this being a challenge and one that, uh, frankly, I'm very glad not to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about we answer this question from Ryan, Hank? I, 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 I want to answer this question from Ryan mostly because he literally sent in an image of his driver's license to prove that he is a Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, is it worth it? Uh, is it good? I think it's a good question. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a great question. I'm really interested in this question. It's a hard oh, one. Great. Oh, it's from, it, it, he says, Dear Green Brothers. In fact, he says, Dear Brothers Green. I'm a 26-year-old military vet who lives in Charlotte County, Florida, which happens to be one of the most conservative and the oldest by median age places in the country. Despite my surroundings, I consider myself deeply liberal. I've tried to make friends with neighbors and people in my community, but it is becoming unbelievably hard. Most are five decades my senior or prone to saying things that are homophobic, racist, or Islamophobic. I'm fully aware that most conservatives don't hold these views, but I unfortunately live in an area where it is a little too common. Because of all these factors, I do most of my socializing on the internet, but I feel that I'm missing out on an aspect of life not having any real-life friends. Any dubious advice would improve my situation. Any dubious advice that would improve my situation would be greatly appreciated. I have to say, Ryan, I have spent time in Charlotte County, Florida quite a lot, and I agree with you. It is an old conservative place. And it's where, <laughs> it is where my, uh, my in-laws live, and oh my, oh my. It is not full of a lot of uh, young military veterans who sign off their emails, honor, courage, commitment. You forgot the great sign off. That's a good one. It's good. You're right. I think it's difficult. Anytime you feel like there's nobody like you in your real life community. And that's a feeling that, you know, I knew very well when I was young uh, and that I feel kind of lucky to not feel now. But I would say that just because there are a lot of old people in Charlotte County, Florida, it does not mean that there are no young people. In fact, there are lots of young people. I, I and I like when I go, I'm amazed that I see like high schools. I'm like, who is having children in this town? There's there are people. There are people who are young people who have elementary school aged children, and I have no idea where they came from, uh, because. When I walk around the town, I do not see those people, but they are there. So the question is, how do you meet them? Yeah, well, they mostly work in uh, in in at the hospital um, in one way or another. You know, they work in they work in the care of the people who are the sort of weirdly enough the uh, the industry of the town. Um, so you just have to so go, Ryan. You got to go become go to, a nurse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I think nurse? we found it. Or just like hurt Remember yourself to always a little bit. say, I'm sorry when people compliment your clothes <laughs> and become a nurse. Yeah, just like stub your toe real bad and, and like go into urgent care and like look around and be like, anybody want to be my friend? 
That is a much better idea. Why become a nurse when you could just become a patient? <laughs> so much easier. All right, Ryan, stub your toe, go to urgent care. Nobody will think that's weird. Um, be like, ow, my toe, does anyone want to be my friend? They're so used to like drug seeking patients, but you'll be that rare patient who's just friend seeking. Yeah. I do find it weird when I like see my doctor in real life and I'm like, hey. Oh, I just saw my psychiatrist in real life, Hank. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Thank was God it? he didn't actually see me because I dove under the table. Uh, <laughs> I was having a drink with my beautiful wife on date mm -hmm. night. Uh, and who do I see striding up at a, at a pretty good clip? And by the way, if my psychiatrist is listening to the pod, I, I don't know how involved <laughs> he is in my private life. But, you know, please just like pause for 30 seconds. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, who do I see striding up? And I, and I was like, Sarah, Sarah, that's Dr. Patel. And she was like, who? And I was like, Dr. Patel. And she was like, go say hi. And I was like, say hi? No, no, this is, we are, we are having a crisis. This is an emergency. Yeah. I, did, did you become okay? Yeah, well, he ended up having a drink in the same restaurant. So I just like turned my chair so that he couldn't see me. Um, yeah, I was fine. I, everything chilled out after that. Long story short, Ryan, get a psychiatrist and um, go out to bars. <laughs> and try to run across your... I don't think that we're doing a good job of answering this question. No. It is really hard to make friends in adulthood. Like, yes. I still don't really know how to do it, Ryan. And I think part mm -hmm. of what's difficult about the time of your life is not just where you live or the kind of people you live near, but also that it's just kind of a hard time in life. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I like finding it's it's weird because it's like, well, let's just find the places where people like you are going. But it's like, well, if people like me were going to places, I would be the people who go to those places. Those places don't right. exist. Like in the town where my in-laws live, there isn't a movie theater like there isn't there isn't places to go and do things. There are like the weird beach bars that I don't think are necessarily Ryan's scene. Um so I yeah I definitely I I commiserate with that and and figure like it, it, again it's like why isn't there Tinder for friends and it's because uh, it's just too like it's too much it's too weird you know it has to be natural and it's uh, it's very hard to find natural ways to to find folks um, out, outside of I think for the record there are some. There are Tinders for friends and people mm. do use them. I, but Hank and I are so far outside of that world uh, that we are not going to be able to advise you on them. I have no idea how you call someone through Tinder. I, I assume that there, I assume that that's, that there's a, uh, there's some <laughs> kind of like Tinder call functionality, but I'm not, I'm not hip and with it in, in that, uh, in that world. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Joseph, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was looking at clothes on the internet, and my mother told me expensive doesn't mean better. And I was wondering if you agree, because I haven't heard fashion advice on the pod yet, and you're both fashion icons. Thank you for noticing, <laughs> Joseph. Is a $3.97 gray t-shirt from Walmart as good as a $145 gray t-shirt from Ralph Lauren purple label? I didn't even know that Ralph Lauren had a purple label. This is incredibly exciting news for me. I don't understand the extra expense. Should I spend more money? buttons and threads joseph now hank and i are going to have very different answers here because yep. hank continues to shop uh for his clothing primarily secondhand that's not true i do both <laughs> that's why i said primarily <laughs> joseph there are some people in the world who are not able to enjoy the finer things in life like my brother you know, and and you put him in one T-shirt and it's as good as any other T-shirt because to him, it's just the pleasure of not being naked and warm. That's all he cares about. But people like us, Joseph, we oh understand God. that when you pay $145 for a gray T-shirt, it is a really good T-shirt. No, I'm just kidding. Never pay more than $22 <laughs> plus shipping for your T-shirts at DFTBA.com. Available oh, right now. There it is. There it is. DFTBA.com. <laughs> There's no other place to get t-shirts on the internet that's even worth pursuing. Uh, to Joseph, I say, first of all, you haven't heard fashion advice on the pod. We just gave some, so apparently this is fashion day. Second, uh, <laughs> there is a difference between a $4 t-shirt and a $150 t-shirt. And the, the thing is, there's, a, there's definitely more value. It's just that there's not $140 more value. 
Like that's that's the weird thing about like luxury products is like you keep making it better until like you're for every like like increment of better you are getting the prices going way way out of proportion to the increment of betterness and it's almost like and I've noticed this about people who uh, who have the opportunity to to do this um, that people start to become experts on excellence. And so they can tell the difference between a $100 t-shirt and a $150 t-shirt in a way that to me or indeed anyone else, except for like, you know, the 5,000 people who buy t-shirts like this, would is just completely obtuse and makes no sense. But there is a difference. And there's lots of differences when it comes to like, I, I mean, I run a merch company. So like there's softness and, but there's also things like, was the cotton sustainably raised? What like are the factories factories where people are treated well? Um, was it made in America or was it made in like a place where there isn't a lot of oversight? And so like there there are differences and uh, but but what but that's not the difference between a twenty five dollar no. t shirt and a hundred fifty dollar t shirt. You can get a twenty five dollar yes. t shirt that was made in the U S. with sustainably produced cotton. Uh, yes. When you're paying $150 for a t-shirt, you're paying $150 for a luxury experience mm-hmm. um, that, and I totally agree with you, Hank. There's this, uh, Sarah and I always talk about this great line that Ira Glass, the host of This American Life, had after he moved to New York. He said, uh, it's three times as expensive, but only twice as fun. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's definitely the, uh, that's definitely the t-shirt experience. That t-shirt is 10 times as expensive and only like one point three times better right it's the same thing with red wine or stereo equipment or any number of things that you can get really really into if you want to devote a lot of your resources to it um yeah but i i agree with hank that uh when you stop noticing the difference in quality and when it stops being material to your quality of life you should stop trying yeah to differentiate don't, yeah don't try to figure out why something is better don't like dedicate your time to figuring out why should you should be spending more money on something definitely live in that ignorance for as long as you can yeah i agree hank why don't i let you ask a question yeah that's nice thank you this one is from natalie who asks dear hank and john i have a problem this morning i bought a bag of popcorn for exactly two dollars and 99 cents i paid in cash so i was expecting to receive a penny However, of course, I find pennies useless, so I was planning in advance to place that penny in the donations box next to the register. The problem is, the cashier did not give me my penny. She didn't even ask if I wanted the change. She simply said, have a nice day, and closed the register. I didn't know what to say, so I just walked away, penniless. I mean, that's not that I feel like that's the literal definition of penniless, but not not really what we mean when we say that. I don't know how to feel about this. I didn't particularly want the penny, but I also feel like I was owed the penny. Did this shop just steal from me and by extension from charity? Should I be upset that I was not giving the money or should I just go on with life since pennies are so useless anyway? Ave at que vale, Natalie. It says, hey, it's hail and farewell. In Latin. That's good. It's good. Yeah, it's from good. an elegaic poem by the Roman poet Catullus. Oh, good. Good. Uh, it's addressed to Catullus's dead brother, or strictly speaking, to the ashes of Catullus's oh, dead brother. Yes, yes. I guess that makes sense. Um, this happens to me frequently, John. Has this happened to you? It has. Um, and I do not believe that stores are any, under any obligation to carry any pennies. So it may be that they <laughs> are refusing to engage with the penny as currency. Yeah. I mean, for, like, I think that this cashier might have thought that they were doing you a favor because who wants a freaking penny? I like technically the cashier should give you the penny and the cashier is probably trained to give you the penny. Uh, in fact, they, they're sometimes there's like inventory that goes on and they count the change in the cash register. And if it's not right, then they can get in trouble. Uh, and, but probably that not at that place. If the, they, this person is so blase about pennies, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I almost consider it a personal favor to not have to even think about the fact that the penny ever existed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would see this as a gift to you rather than taking a penny away from charity because P.S. That charity doesn't need a penny. It needs a dime or more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. 
Agari. All right, Hank, let's uh, answer another question. This one comes from Ian, who writes, Hello, Green Brothers. Especially since the most recent election, I found it harder to find an independent news source. I often read through various subreddits that seem to be unbiased, but also try to balance that with reading subreddits populated by the left or the right. And I also watch Philip DeFranco daily because I feel like he filters out a lot of stuff purely through research and cross-checking. How should I get my news without spending hours doing research and cross-checking? I want to make sure I consider all sides without fail... Fa- without falling for fake news or unsubstantiated stories. No interesting sign-off, Ian. Mm. Yeah, so I've been doing an experiment the last few weeks um, where I read my local hometown newspaper, the Indianapolis Star and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and The Economist, as well as The New Yorker. And it gives me a wide variety of news stories. I think a lot of what people cite as... uh, biased comes from the opinion pages of those newspapers, which are a really small portion of what they do. Like, I think sometimes their reporting is wrong or it's uh, incomplete, but I don't think that it's consistently biased. Like, I think if you read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or The Economist's coverage of Brazil or South Korea, you won't find it to be consistently biased. And I think the same is mostly true of their U.S. coverage. Uh, I think... So I, I, I am a big believer in uh, newspapers and news organizations when it comes to the actual gathering of news and the reporting of news. I think newspapers and news organizations that are well-established uh, do a better job of that than anyone else at the moment. I think when it comes to news analysis, which is a different thing, and most of what Phil does is, I think, ultimately news analysis telling you kind of why the news matters or what's uh, what's important about it. Um, I think traditional news companies don't do as good of a job, although I think there are very good um, opinion columns at times in all of those newspapers and magazines and in many others. But I think that's what the internet is good at is news analysis. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's uh, I think the old line media companies are still pretty good at news gathering and news reporting. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a very important distinction there. Uh, a lot of what you we see on the internet is sort of like, what's the scandal of the day? And what is the, what, what's my, what should my take be? What are some good takes on this scandal of the day? And that, and the scandals are always things that have really sharply defined sides. Um, and, uh, and, 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 like, I, but but maybe aren't the most like, like they they often haven't been all the way worked out. They're like stories in progress, and so the people are having opinions about things that haven't been all the way understood yet. Um, and so these like like tremendous like these big stories that that are in the in progress of of coming out. Everybody's going to have lots of opinions about them, and and it, and it can it's much easier to have your opinion be influenced by sort of like what you would like the world to be like. And, uh, and, and a lot of what you see on the internet and also like with things like the daily show is we're talking about how the news is covering the news, not about the news itself. And the news becomes the news, the media because like you're covering the media rather than covering what the media is covering. And like what, like the actual covering, like the actual journalism stuff is hard and people like me and you, Phil DeFranco don't do that. And like the Daily Show also, for the most part, doesn't do that. And if we just like spend all our time ragging on them, the times they get it wrong and talking about how like these people are completely useless and don't do any good stuff because I can find these two examples of how they screwed up stories in the last year. It's like, well, but you're not trying to do that. No one else is trying to do that. You're just going after them when they get it wrong very occasionally when the vast majority of the reporting that gets done is good journalism, even like across the board, like when you're talking about a more conservative paper like the Wall Street Journal or a more liberal paper like the New York Times, like the, like the Wall Street Journal isn't going to talk about global warming all the time, but like you will find that like the, the journalism that gets done there for the most part overlaps, like the people, like the stories that are getting done, like they agree with each other. And but like but those those don't get sucked into the outrage cycle because there's agreement. Right. That's what I would highlight is that there's a lot that goes in, I think, to being an informed person that the outrage cycle leaves out because 
it's either a very complicated story or because it's a story on which a lot of people agree. So if you look at the news right now, for instance, you know, we're not seeing a ton of reporting about uh, Somalia, even though there's a famine there. Um, we're not seeing a ton of reporting on the internet anyway about uh, these huge corruption scandals that are ongoing uh, in in Brazil and now reaching outside of Brazil. Uh, and we're not you know, and we're not seeing a ton of like coverage on the internet about many other international stories, but also national stories. I, I highlighted this in a video I made recently, but you know we're not talking that much about the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, even though it has huge implications uh, for all of us because it's not a story that's easy to get outraged about. It's not a story that's easy to take sides on. And so I think on those stories, which I I would argue are actually like the bulk of stories when it comes to being an informed person, uh, I think the news media does a, a, a relatively good job. And I also think that like local, for me, my local newspaper does a really good job keeping me informed about issues that are really relevant, in some ways more relevant to my life because they are local issues when it comes to the laws and regulations and leaders that affect my city and my state. That stuff's really important to my day-to-day life in a way that some of the larger conversations aren't. So I agree with you, and I, I think we have to... Um, we have to call the media out when they do a bad job of reporting, but we also need to celebrate when they do a good job. Yeah, and and when you sit down with the newspaper and you read the stories, you're like, oh, this was this was actually interesting and useful, and I had no idea that it existed. Which uh, is, it also becomes yeah. in a way less scary. Like I I find the news to be really overwhelming and scary a lot of times right now, and I feel like what the heck is happening? Like. This and, and 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 a lot of it is true. Like we are not living in normal times in the United States, uh, po- politically or socially, and it's important to acknowledge that, and it's important to be honest about that. But at the same time, when I read stories, carefully reported stories in newspapers, uh, I realize that um, you know we've always been living in strange times, or at least we've often mm-hmm. been living in strange times. Yep. I agree. I agree. Um, I would like to ask a question that I would like to answer, John. Okay. But you can also try to answer it if you want. It's from Stella who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm sorry if my English is horrible, but I'll try my best. So I was wondering if there was any difference in organ or other things inside our body's size and shape between the tallest person in the world and the shortest person in the world. I mean, like, do tall people's hearts and lungs, are they, like, longer? Or the difference is just in the arrangement of the organs. Are tall people's insides more spacious and short people's insides denser? Organs and body parts, Stella. I, I mean, I I don't know. Bodies are amazing. Like, the, the fact that you can have a seven-foot-tall person and, like, and, a, and like, a four-foot-tall person, or, you know, like, the, 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 the differences in sizes of human bodies, and even, like, crazier with dogs and stuff. Like, these are the same species, but, like, there's chihuahuas and there's Great Danes. Like that the body figures out how to make itself proportional no matter what size you are. And we're not entirely sure how that works. There's a lot of different stuff that goes into it. But yes, bigger people have bigger organs, smaller people have smaller organs. Otherwise, it would not fit inside, and that would be a tremendous problem. Um, And also, yeah, there are no, like, empty spaces inside of tall people, which is that's good. I'm glad about that. It would be real weird. But it's pretty cool. I kind of want there to be an empty space inside of me. Sometimes I feel like, you know, <laughs> everybody has that feeling sometimes, like there's an empty space inside of them that nothing can fill. Yeah. And it would be nice if that were literally true. If I could be like, oh, yeah, it's that uh, it's that part between my lungs and my diaphragm. Ugh, that's where the emptiness is. Yeah. Nope. You're pretty packed solid in there, John. Um, we are all pretty packed solid. It's kind of remarkable you, you don't really want to look uh unless unless you're like you know doctoring but uh it's pretty cool pretty cool if, if a little i gross. mean one of my central ambitions is uh never to see the inside of my abdominal cavity <laughs> it's good it's a good one to have this episode of dear hank and john is brought to you by zocdoc look There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor. 
for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health, and you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to say doc, zocdoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. Zocdoc.com. Uh, uh, Hank, we need to get on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon so that we can get to the all important Ryan part yeah. of the podcast. Agreed. Agreed. We, we've got to get to this week in Ryan. Um, which again, you can get patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. You can sign up uh, a new level and you can get a weekly Ryan podcast. But uh, let's get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. And let's just start with the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank, mm. because it's awesome. Oh, good. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Uh, Hank, on March 14th, you don't come to Dear Hank and John for necessarily up-to-date AFC Wimbledon news. On March 14th, uh, AFC Wimbledon welcomed to Kings Meadow the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes. It was a difficult and complex uh, and emotionally exhausting thing to do uh, to have to welcome the team that used to be or at least fancies themselves you, the team that used to be you. Um, <laughs> and uh, throughout the game, AFC Wimbledon fans uh, sang one of my all-time favorite songs, Where Were You, Where Were You, Where Were You, When You Were Us. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, for the first time in League One, AFC Wimbledon defeated the Milton Keynes team 2-0. Uh, beautiful game. Really, I, I listened to the whole thing on Radio WDON because it was not on TV. And, uh, oh, man. Oh, gosh, it felt good. I would like to say that I didn't care about the result because Wimbledon had already won by getting back to League One. But actually, I did. I did care about the result. And it was, oh, it felt good. <laughs> oh, oh, God, good. it felt good. Oh, good, John. I'm, I'm excited for you. Um uh, so uh, even I'm more glad importantly, that that's finally happened. Is that that's the first time that's happened, right? It's the first time that it's happened in a league competition. They lost. Um, okay. They lost earlier. So it was Lyle Taylor, the Messi from Montserrat, who scored the second goal, and helpfully, I just want to give a quick shout out to Lyle Taylor because he was kind enough to celebrate right in front of our advertising hoarding that says um, the Nerdfighter community mm-hmm. is helping AFC Wimbledon get it Wimbledon. Um, and so that picture is in all of the was in all of the newspapers in London. Um, so thank you, Lyle Taylor, for uh, celebrating in front of our advertising. I know that you did that on purpose, and I appreciate it. Uh, that that is that is uh, the dopest, John. Also, I should add one more thing. Uh, since then, AFC Wimbledon has uh, drawn a game nil nil. And critically, that means that with 38 games played, uh, with eight games left in the League One season, AFC Wimbledon are on 51 points, meaning that they are only one point from absolute definite safety. So if Wimbledon just win or tie one of their last eight games, they will almost definitely not get relegated. So that's great. Woohoo! What's the news from Mars? Well, I guess the news from Mars is that uh, President Trump signed a bill funding NASA. Uh, it's a 
it's kind of strange. Like it's not part of the budget. It's just sort of like uh, it's like it was a bipartisan support thing. That's like here, NASA, you're going to get funded. And it didn't have any of the cuts to the Earth Science Departments that uh, was in Trump's larger budget, which is good news because like it's good for NASA to study the Earth because of how. You know, as Leon Musk will tell you, it's a pretty good planet and we need to try and keep it that way. Yep. Uh, but part of that was uh, was uh, helping to get uh, NASA's big hunk of cash to uh, help us get to Mars. Elon Musk, on the other hand, the actual Elon Musk, uh, is, is not a fan of the bill. He says this bill changes almost nothing about what NASA is doing. Existing programs stay in place, and there is, to be clear, no added funding for Mars. Uh, and it was sort of like pitched as like a, this is going to be a Mars thing. Uh, but Elon later tweeted, uh, perhaps there will be some future bill that makes a difference for Mars, but this is not it. Well, I'm glad that NASA has funding, though, because I do think that of the things that our, our government does, NASA is probably the most beautiful. It is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Followed closely by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which partly funds the art assignment and crash course. Also very awesome. Also very awesome. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Uh, but yeah. before we go, it's time for our brand new podcast. This Week in Ryan. This Week in Ryan's. We're fighting over who gets to say it. <laughs> I think it's good. It's got to be me, right? You... You, you're, you're not that. You're like sort of like the peripheral character if you're Hank and John, so it should probably be me, right? This week in Ryan's. <laughs> All right, John. Who is the Ryan this week? Well, Hank, we're starting out with the most famous Ryan in the world, according to oh. Ranker.com, which lists... Uh, Does Ranker... Wait. Ranker ranks people by first name? Uh, Hank, Ranker's slogan is vote on everything, including apparently uh, your favorite Ryans. Um, <laughs> so the, the most famous Ryan in the world, according to Ranker.com, is Ryan Gosling. That does not surprise me. That, does, that is what I would have said. I, now I'm very curious. I'm curious who the most famous Hank is, John. I have a weird name. I have a weird name. I'm probably, I'm probably in the top five. The most famous Hank by far is Hank Williams. Yes, I think Hank Azaria may also Ooh, be. It could be Hank. It could. It could be Hank Aaron. Could be Hank Aaron. Also Hank Hill, who's not real, but still. Let me real quick go to Ranker.com and tell you the most famous Hanks in the world. Number one, Hank Azaria. I don't know that this is a very good website. <laughs> <laughs> Hank Azaria is pretty famous. He was married to Helen Hunt. <laughs> Hank, I've got some bad news. Yeah. According to Ranker.com, you are actually the 21st Ooh, most famous well, Hank I'm, I'm on the list! I'm on the list! You're behind Hank Brown, uh, who is a former U.S. Senator from Colorado. You're not even the most famous Hank with a color last name. <laughs> that would be Hank Brown. Or possibly, if you consider Snow to be a color, Hank Snow, <laughs> who is a celebrated Canadian country music artist. Ah, well, John, before before we go down this rabbit hole any further, what do we know about Ryan Gosling? Yeah, Ryan Gosling, of course, uh, famous for his recent role in La La Land, but most famous for having a face that I love to look at. Mm. Can I just Google, mm, let me just Google, mm, mm. If I just Google Ryan Abs, I'm not even going to put his last name in. I'm going to see it. Uh, mm, uh, yeah. That's a great mm, idea. Just Ryan. Who's the first Ryan's abs that I say? Oh, it's Ryan Lochte. It's Ryan Lochte. It's not even Ryan Gosling. Yeah, he's going to be the star of a future episode of uh, This Week in Ryan's. I am looking at Ryan Gosling's abs now, though, and I'm, I'm not disappointed. Uh, but moving <laughs> on, because, of course, Ryan Gosling is not only a beautiful face and an astonishingly fit pair of abs. Pair of abs? <laughs> Just the two. <laughs> <laughs> just two of them. He only one of the little known facts about Ryan Gosling is that he only has two abdominal muscles. Man, Hank, do you know where Ryan Gosling is from? Uh, is he from Canada because he's a goose, a small he goose? Is from, he is from Canada. He is a Canadian actor and musician. And do you know how he got to start? He got to start on the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, that I thought that was an American thing. He was I, also on Goosebumps. 
He was on Goosebumps and his last name is Goose? His last name is, is Tiny Goose and he was on Goosebumps. <laughs> he was on Goosebumps. Oh my goodness. And he's from Canada where the geese come it from. It is amazing. His, uh, his, his dad, oh. Thomas Ray Gosling, uh, was a traveling salesman for a paper mill and his mom uh, was a secretary uh, and, and uh, is now a high school teacher. Uh, and one thing that you might not know about Ryan's great-great-grandfather, George Edward Gosling, is that he was English. That's not interesting. Um, <laughs> hold on, let me find something interesting. <laughs> well, uh, IMDb will tell you the, the movies that they are most known for, which I also always find interesting. I would have thought that La La Land would be number one, but they have Drive then La La Land, then The Big Short, then Crazy Stupid Love. I, I also want to know the movies he's least known for, but probably it's Goosebumps and The Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I saw him in The Mickey Mouse Club a few times, but then I do have small children, and at this point, <clears throat> we are very far down the Mickey Mouse rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> His first ever role was in 1995 in the TV series Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I was probably watching in 1995 uh, as Jamie Leary. Uh, and Jamie Leary, you can click on that because apparently it's a clickable thing. Uh, it does not. Uh, I've got a quote from Jamie Le Leary. He says, that's my brother. He's not dead. What? I don't know. That's, that's the quote that they, they pulled out of the episode. <laughs> Jamie Leary said that. I don't know why. We're going to have to watch it, John. It's that episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark from 1995. Called The Tale of Station 109.1. It's a haunted radio station. Hank, do you know what Ryan Gosling's uh, childhood nickname was? Uh, well, his current nickname is Ryan Mini Goose Gosling. That's right. But we're just, we are only coining that now. So obviously that yeah, wasn't his childhood nickname because when yeah. people look back on history and at, at some point, like, I think Ryan Gosling will probably stop like being Ryan in, in the movies and it'll just say, you know, starring Eva Mendez and Mini Goose Gosling. <laughs> Yeah, obviously. His childhood nickname was Trouble. Ryan oh. Trouble Gosling. When I look into his eyes, I can see that he might be a person whose childhood nickname was Trouble. Uh, well, in first grade, having been heavily influenced by the action film First Blood, he took steak knives to school and threw them at other children during recess, which led to his suspension. That is a bad idea. Yeah, right. Don't no, do yeah, that. Bad, bad, bad. Don't put that in your autobiography. Hank, are you at all familiar with the singer-songwriter Ryan Cabrera? Uh, well, John, I feel like he's off-limits. Uh, he's not off-limits because, wait for it, Ryan Cabrera, noted singer-songwriter, has a tattoo on his calf of Ryan Gosling. <gasps> wow. Ryanception. I'm looking at it right now. It's Ryanception. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Gosling also has uh, tattoos. Of one of them, he said, One of my tattoos is supposed to be a monster's hand dropping a bloody heart, but I did it myself with a tattoo kit, so it looks like a cactus. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm, I'm looking at the tattoo right now, and I mean... <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> How can Ryan Gosling be so hot and so bad at getting tattoos i mean this is the worst tattoo i've ever seen i mean it what? <laughs> we'll put it up on the patreon but oh my god this is the worst <laughs> tattoo i have ever seen in my entire life it looks like beavis from beavis and butthead um had a baby with a cactus that then spit out a heart uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the picture of this, John. I googled Ryan Gosling tattoo, and I just got a lot of tattoos of Ryan Gosling, not Ryan Gosling's tattoos. There are a number of them, including this one, which is a tattoo of Ryan Gosling's face superimposed on a spider, and it says, Ryan Gosling. It's really good. I like it a lot, actually. I'm going to save that one for the Patreon as well. Well, this, this, John, has been This Week in Ryan's. We've started out with the most... Start out with the most famous Ryan of all the Ryans, Ryan Gosling, uh, at least for now. And uh, he's... Uh, Did you know that Justin Timberlake's mom was Ryan Gosling's legal guardian for six months? What? What? Did you know that Ryan Gosling called A.J. McLean in the early 1990s to ask if he could join the Backstreet Boys? Wow. 
I mean, did you know that there's a person who has a tattoo of Ryan Gosling, except instead of Ryan Gosling's beard, it's a pepperoni pizza? <laughs> Saving that one for the... <laughs> that one for the Patreon. Do you know that Ryan Gosling is in a band called Dead Men's Bones that only sings songs about paranormal phenomena? Wow, no. That's wonderful. I like Ryan Gosling much more now than I did at the beginning of this this uh, this week in Ryan. I think at the end of each episode of This Week in Ryan, Hank, we should just pause and real quickly give a grade rating right, to... Right, right. We should... We should. Rate the, the Ryan, Ryan that we have spent the last five to ten minutes meeting, and I give Ryan Gosling based on my quick read of his Wikipedia page and some trivia <laughs> an A minus. No, John, we cannot just give them grades. We have to give them a thing out of a thing. Like uh, no, like oh. I give I I grade Ryan Gosling sixty two mini gooses. Shouldn't it be a consistent rating system, though, so the Ryans of the world can know whether or not they stack up no, against other Ryans? definitely not! No, no, we are not here to make the Ryans feel bad. Uh, no, we're here to make Ryans feel good, mostly, I would think. Unless there's a... Te- I'm sure there's terrible Ryans out there. At some point, we're going to get to there's Jets some bad Ryans. Rex Ryan. Um, I don't know who that's, that is. I think that's lovely. Uh, point being... <laughs> We've got it. We've got to think of a rating system, but we haven't thought of one. So we'll do that by next time because I have to go pick up my kid now. Okay. Well, this has been once again this week in this Ryan's. week in Ryan's. <laughs> Hank and I are really competing to try like, to be the uh, voice yeah. of this week in Ryan. I like that. I like it. Right. I, really, I think uh, that should be a thing. Um, John, what did we learn today? Real quick. Well, we learned that um, Ryan Gosling is the most famous Ryan in the world, and Hank Green is the 21st most famous Hank. We also learned that if someone compliments you on your shirt, you really just you need to apologize for your shirt. You've made a horrible mistake. Horrible mistake. Uh, and of course, we learned that this week's podcast, for some reason, didn't have the usual fake sponsors that we have. Nope, no fake sponsors, because it's brought to you by, one, Ryan's, and two, you, our Patreon patrons, and also the, just the people who listen who aren't Patreon patrons, which is also, to be clear, fine. Yes, we are grateful to all of you. And lastly, we learned that you can pay ten times more for a shirt, but it will only be about 1.1 times better than the cheap one. I'd say it depends on... on the exact context but I, I, I broadly agree with you thank you for potting with me Hank thanks to everybody for listening Dear Hank and John is produced by Rosiana Hulse Rojas and Sheridan Gibson our editor is Nicholas Jenkins Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications our music is by the great Gunnarola you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com you can find Hank on Twitter at Hank Green it's hard to find me on Twitter these days except at Sports with John and Leon Musk number four Earth thanks again for listening and as we say in my hometown don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome, awesome. Thank you.